So how confident are we in Michigan's football team coming out of spring practice? We'll look at it position by position next on this week's episode of Michigan Podcast. But there's going to be one team that's going to play solely as a team. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The team, the team, the team. Let's see for this is no time for that. In the pocket and a sack. Tim Jamison. Brady gets terrific. Throws it and a touchdown night again. Schultz just before Brazil got him. And a leaping interception by Woodson. Harbaugh back to throw over the middle. Caught by Kohler at the five on his feet. Touchdown, Michigan. Seven, 179 pounds, a junior at Michigan. But Jamie Morris packs a wallop, and he delivers for Bo Schembeck. And here's your first play. Pressure coming, sack. It is Glenn Steele, number 81, who fought his way through the traffic. Option. And Robinson calls his own number, and he's going to score. Oh, an easy touchdown for Robinson and Michigan. championship again because we're going to play as a team and when we play as a team and the old season is over you and I know it's going to be Michigan again Michigan Greetings, Go Blue, and welcome to the latest episode of Michigan Podcast. I'm Steve Dace. A little bit later on, we will live up to what we promised you here at the top. We're going to go position group by position group on where things stand with the Michigan football program, and we'll be joined by our good friend Mark Rogers, the voice of college football, as we do that in the next segment of the show. But I would be remiss if we didn't start off, though, with a final word about a fantastic college basketball season here for the maize and blue you know when you're deciding is a college basketball season a success or not there there's really uh, four ways that you can say without reservation your season was a success it doesn't mean hey you know if we finished fourth or fifth in the league and made the sweet 16 that you can't call that a success but for some programs depending on your expectations going into next season or going into a season, that could be a disappointment. For example, for Michigan next year with the team that we're going to have next season, I I would say unless we have injuries, finishing fourth or fifth in the Big Ten and only making the Sweet 16 would probably be considered a a bit of a disappointment. For a lot of other programs, depending on where your preseason expectations were, you're totally fine with that. And we've had teams, you know, particularly early in John Beeline's, um, you know, recovery of the Michigan program where those were fantastic seasons. But for every team, regardless of where you're at, right now in terms of perception uh, 
There's four ways we all agree this was a successful season. Okay, The first and most obvious, obviously, is winning the national championship. But only one team out of 300-plus gets to do that, and congratulations to the Baylor Bears. The other, making the Final Four, but only four teams get to do that out of 300-plus teams. Uh, The third way is winning your conference tournament. And then the fourth way is winning your conference regular season, particularly here in the Big Ten, even though we've had a tournament since the 90s. There's probably more emphasis on winning the regular season title in the Big Ten than there is in any power conference because we were the last power conference to go to a conference tournament, and there's so much tradition there. And Michigan did that this year. For only the second time since 1986, the Wolverines won an undisputed Big Ten championship, and nothing can be taken away, regardless of the disappointing finish against UCLA. Yes, I get, I agree. When when you give up 51 points in an NCAA tournament game, you have to win that game. Uh, they were 13 for 26 at the rim, despite a huge size advantage in the game. I mean, that's terrible. Even if you're just 16 of 26, that's also terrible, right? But then you win that basketball game. But that doesn't take anything away from this season. During a winter of discontent with the country coming out of a divisive election that was still being determined in the courts uh, and in recounts and uh, more and more uh, lockdowns and quarantines, and are we ever going to get back to normal? This basketball team brought a lot of people together and brought a lot of people joy over the course of the last few months, and and nothing, no, not one night of, of a bunch of missed layups and free throws in March takes away from what was an absolute season of joy. And they were also a fun team to watch. Michigan played a fun brand of basketball, an exciting brand of basketball. Players that were likable as well. I I almost couldn't get upset about losing that game to UCLA because as disappointed as I was as a fan, I was actually more disappointed for those players who worked so hard, who have basically been in a quarantine uh, as as, as players since last Labor Day. No Christmas no Thanksgiving. Uh, they've been away from their families for, what, seven months now. With that effort, they put in, and it almost paid off with a Final Four run, but at the very least, it pays off with a Big Ten championship. Phenomenal season for Franz Wagner, Isaiah Livers, and the rest of the Wolverines. Jawan Howard, unbelievable. Second year as a coach ever, national coach of the year and when you look at next year's team right now we know we're going to have Hunter Dickinson, Eli Brooks and Shondi Brown returning off this team alongside the number one incoming recruiting class I mean that's that's a preseason top five team for next year as well so you can't ever take anything for granted Chris Ballas at the Wolverine has made a great point recently in a couple of his podcast appearances saying hey you know, there's a lot of great teams that don't make runs, and you and when you have a chance, you've got to finish the job. Michigan didn't do that, and if you look at a program like Purdue, Purdue has more Big Ten championships in basketball than any other school, and yet hasn't been to a Final Four in 41 years. So Chris is right. You can't take anything for granted, and this was a team that in the end didn't go as far as it probably should have, but in the end is also a championship team, and they deserve all the acclaim and recognition and gratitude for that. And it was so much fun going along this year, celebrating with them, and we look forward to hanging that banner in the rafters when next season starts. In fact, that shouldn't be the only banner that gets hung. It is time to restore the Fab Five banners as well. 
A big thank you to our Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash Michigan podcast because you make these episodes possible with your support. And we get asked all the time, hey, we love what you guys do. How can we support you? Well, for just $5 a month, you can support us at patreon.com slash Michigan podcast. And hey, college basketball may be done, but now we're into the Major League Baseball handicapping and we had an outstanding season in Major League Baseball last year. We had a pretty good season in college basketball this year as well, as you can see right there from something we recently posted on our Patreon page. So $5 a month to get some pretty good sports handicapping and opportunity to win some money. Like when we recommended you take before the tournament, Baylor six to one to win the national championship. You saw that thing pay off, right? Well, your $5 a month pays off when you support us at patreon.com slash Michigan podcast. It's time for the 10-Minute War. That's our little homage back to a time when Michigan-Ohio State was a rivalry, not a bludgeoning. Particularly the great 10-year war between Woody and Bo, and we have with us for this segment each and every time, our good friend and the one and only reasonable Ohio State fan, Mark Rogers, who himself has a fantastic YouTube channel. If you're a college football fan year-round, the voice of college football, good to see you, Mark. How are you, man? I'm doing well, Steve. Unfortunately, I see where the uh, the football disappointments have spilled over into other sports. Can't be disappointed with an undisputed Big Ten championship, brother. Can't be disappointed with that. But yeah, yeah. the basketball program has been excellent. Yes, for years. Yeah, it's it's kind of carrying uh, the uh, the football program's. Uh, uh, considerable uh, dead weight at the moment, which is where we're going to go with spring practice wrapping up uh, for the Wolverines this week. They will have no spring game, no practice. They will have nothing public to show us whatsoever, which frankly, Mark, I, I took that as, I know a lot of fans are mad and upset. I, I, I thought it was merciful. I, I, I mean, it's almost like Michigan football knew we could not turn the drip off ourselves so they just decided to royally F their fans again, which that's kind of how they roll. Um, but they did it in a way that this time, without the pusher on the corner uh, handing out the maize and blue construction paper, we got nothing to put on our lips and 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 uh, sing Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds uh, to, again, as we lie to ourselves with more preseason hype. So I'm I'm actually very relieved they're showing us nothing, Mark. Well, based on what your attitude's been the last few years, I, I didn't expect anything different from you, Steve. <laughs> we we want to see a spring game, and and they they are generally meaningless. Um, there are a lot of individual efforts you can take from it. I think the individual matchups, like at wide receiver versus cornerbacks and and quarterbacks, just basically delivering the football. And there there's a few things that you can take from spring games that are legit, but a lot of it you can't, of course. But we need to know more about this Michigan team. And as you well know from talking to beat writers on a regular basis, they even throw their hands up, uh, not just in, in Michigan circles, but across the country because they have less access to these teams than they ever have, both due to COVID and just in general. These these coaches have become completely paranoid. There was a time when I covered Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and Alabama, and we used to get to watch practice. Hmm. Do we really want to know more about this team? I mean, careful what you wish for, right? But let's do this with spring practice wrapping. Me. Well, it, it, it's hurting me actually, painfully, quite a bit. With spring practice wrapping up, 
I haven't done as much legwork on this as I normally would because, frankly, I think the team's going to be terrible, and I'm, I am I really have enjoyed the basketball season. But I, I have heard a few things. I've read a few things. All right, and then my own thoughts. Let's go position by position group. On a scale of 1 to 10, all right, so 1 is uh, 0 confidence, 10 is maximum confidence. I'm going to go through these position groups one by one. I'm going to tell you where I would be, given this caliber of the schedule Michigan's going to play this year, which, again, will be one of the tougher schedules in the country. But when you're completely overhauling your coaching staff, don't know who your quarterback is, have a brand new defense and another reshuffled offensive line, every schedule looks hard when that's your roster, Mark. All right, so let's look at these 1 through 10. How much confidence do we have for this position group when we look at the schedule Michigan's playing? So for the quarterback room, I'm going to go a five, Mark, and I'm only putting it there because Alan Bowman is coming in. Uh, it would have been lower, obviously, without him. Uh, now, I've seen Alan Bowman play a couple of times, including in person. Uh, talented kid, okay. You know, I mean, competent. Kind of, I guess, maybe what a Jake Rudock was when he came in uh, Harbaugh's first year. I don't think he's as good of an overall athlete. I think there's more arm talent there. But um, uh, but him coming in, I think he's going to start the first game of the season. By the way, I think he'll be the starting quarterback. From what I understand, J.J. McCarthy simply not ready. Um, and, and I just, Cade McNamara, there's a reason why he couldn't beat out Joe Milton. They kept trying to give him a shot to beat Joe Milton out in practice, and he couldn't do it. And from what I understand, he's hardly taken the bull by the horns in this spring as well. So uh, because of Alan Bowman, and I think he's okay, a competent starter at this level, um, he'll have more throwing experience than the average Big Ten quarterback, but he's going to face better defenses than the average Big 12 quarterback does too. So I've got it right there at the Mendoza line of a five. What about you? Bowman was a necessary addition to this quarterback room. There's no question about that, because without him, then you're really skating on thin ice, something similar to what Clemson might be facing if they lose their starter. And uh, he's a capable, competent quarterback. I really have nothing to add to your analysis. And if anything, unfortunately, he performed much worse against the Power 5 competition within the Big 12. So that's to, to be a possible concern there. Okay, we're hearing the typical things both out of J.J. McCarthy's um, evaluation and Cade McNamara. McNamara does all the right things. He's just the good program player. Man, he learns the playbook. He's got it down pat. He does all the right things. He's just a good guy, just a plugger, a worker. But is he going to lead the program to the promised land? Probably not, based on what we've seen and based on what his scouting report is. I still want to see J.J. McCarthy win the job just because I want to see this team go for broke. But again, the comments are typical. He still has to learn the playbook, but he makes plays we're hearing, especially with his legs, that nobody else in the room can make. So that's where we stand. I, I just want to caution some Michigan fans in regards to I'm sure you've you've more so than cost, uh, pr- provided the cautionary tale for Michigan fans. But if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, in 2016, entering August camp, John O'Corn, especially coming off one decent season at Houston, was the projected starter. Right. And then Wilton Spate ended up beating him out. So yeah. this is not going to be decided until a few weeks left. All right. Next position running back. I think this is actually the best position on the team. Uh, I think it's possible this is the best running back group in the conference. 
Uh, when you look at the the trio, you have Hassan Haskins, who is, has is, is, has more speed than you think, more power than you think. I don't know that he's special in any one category, but he does he does everything well. Uh, he doesn't really have much of a weakness. He just is an elite, but he's really good at everything. Uh, he's a guy that can be a bell cow. Uh, behind him, you have Blake Corum, who was a highly coveted recruit uh, in the last class, uh, recruited by everybody all over the country. Uh, a, a next level. Uh, level of explosion and then you're bringing in donovan edwards one of the top running back recruits in the united states local kid as well you get a chance to get him his his feet wet a little bit uh but uh, he's been one of the stars of spring football he's already on campus heard his name a lot more than jj mccarthy's in fact so i i think that three-man rotation is actually about perfect quorum is a perfect change of pace to hassan haskins if you're going to be old enough to remember this it's a little bit the reverse of leroy horde and tony bowles where this time Hassan Haskins is the Leroy Horde type he's going to carry the water and 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 the change of pace is the Tony Bowles type in Blake Corum if you get that analogy there and then you've got the prized freshman that'll be too good to keep off the field but you won't have to rely on him too much while you get his feet wet I, I think this is actually the strongest position group on the team that's why I gave it a nine and looking back on what Michigan has brought at the running back position over the last several years, regardless of the coach, even before Harbaugh, it's typically been a three-back rotation. And I was trying to think back to when was the last time Michigan had a running back that you would consider game-changer, scares the defense, top five to ten running back in the nation? It was it was probably the running back coach himself, right? Mike Hart? Mike was Hart. the last time that they had that kind of guy? Yeah. Karan Higdon was good. Fitz Toussaint, good. Devion Smith, good backs. And then you had Mike Hart right after Chris Perry. And remember, Chris Perry won the Doak Walker Award. Sure. Mike Hart is still the leading rusher in school history. But, you know, Chris Perry was a first-round draft pick, flamed out with injuries. Mike Hart was a sixth-round draft pick. You know, I, I think we've had one Michigan tailback rush for 1,000 yards in the NFL in something like the last 15 years, and it was Fitzgerald Toussaint. Yeah, so so I like the running back room like you. I'm not quite as high. By the way, I'll give the quarterbacks a six. I started with a five, and then I compared them to their competition in the Big Ten and actually upgraded the position. So at running back, I'm going with a seven because I love Haskins, but he's not great. He's not a game changer, that type of explosive back. But Donovan Edwards, it's going to be intriguing to see if he's the next great Michigan back. And as you outlined, Blake Corum brings that different dimension they can get him out of the backfield throw the ball to him in space do some different things with him and uh, let him make some plays so it, it should be interesting at running back in a solid position for this team let's go to wide receiver where michigan is recruited very very well but I, I i don't really know what to think they underutilize these guys i mean nico collins last week at his pro day marky 6'3 230 pounds and he ran a 4.35. okay i i just we threw the ball to him like literally three times a game. Okay. I just, you know, Giles Jackson transferring out. He's, he was, I mean, there's only, it's a small list of players in Michigan history that have returned multiple kickoffs for touchdowns. It's one of the hardest thing to do in the sport he has, but yet they barely threw him the ball anyway. So it, on one hand, it's a terrible looking def, uh, yeah, transfer because he's been a great ambassador for the program. He helped them recruit other players. And then you turn around and you lose that guy. It, it's a bad look. But in terms of production, we don't use these guys anyway. Okay, so we have a wide receiver room that probably 90% of college football programs would trade places with. So in terms of personnel, it should be higher than a six. 
but because I know we're not going to use them properly and underutilize them, I don't know how good the quarterbacks are to get them the ball. I don't have any faith. I have negative integers faith in their offensive coordinator. So I, I gave them a six, even though the talent in that room uh, is is better than that, probably. I'm step for step with you with the six and uh, Ronnie Bell, just a three star. I didn't even, I didn't not- even mention Ronnie Bell, who's ph- a phenomenal player. You're right. Yeah. He really is, um, and, and it basically becomes a narrative. Any Michigan game you watch, when Ronnie Bell starts catching passes, they outline that he's really been an overachiever and and really excelled. He's got 80-some catches in his career and been a really good player. Um, I guess Cornelius Johnson. So I'm going to ask the same question at the wide receiver position as the running back position in regards to who truly scares the defense. Not talking about productive players, but who scares the defense, who can – change a game and I guess the potential of Cornelius Johnson being that guy or maybe down the road I don't know if he's going to be ready in 21 but Xavier Worthy of course I mean I, I think they have recruited to Alabama. three or four players like that I just don't trust they're going to get him the ball Donovan Jones Donovan Peoples Jones is final two schools were Michigan and Ohio State it could be argued he might have had a he, he, in one season at Ohio State the amount of catches he had in his career at Michigan are pretty close to it so I, I just I think they have three or four of those kinds of players right now. I I just don't trust they'll get them the ball because I've I've paid attention for the last five or six years and they don't get them the ball. You are certainly right about that. So uh, the the wide receiver room looks good, but it's unfortunately the most dependent position on the field. Uh, Got to have the ball thrown to you to do anything with it. Yes, we're going to talk some offensive line now. Let's let's go to offensive line and one of the, just one of the most mind numbing. Uh, position coach firings this offseason. Ed Warner may have saved Jim Harbaugh's job. I mean, the, the offensive line was a disaster after 2017. It was the worst offensive line in the Power Five. Harbaugh had kept his friend Tim Drevno for too long, brought one of Rich Rod's former assistants back uh, to help coach the offensive line. The problem is one guy coached a zone blocking scheme. The other guy coached a man blocking scheme, and it was just going nowhere. So they brought Ed Warner over from Minnesota as the offensive line coach. You guys obviously know him well. Did a phenomenal job as an OL coach at Ohio State. Rescued that unit. Uh, had Michigan one game, that unit recovered to the point Michigan was one game away from the college football playoff his first year. His second year, they had four guys selected in the NFL, all made rosters. Last year, with a young, reshuffled unit, they, I think, were still number one in the Big Ten in fewest sacks and fewest tackles for losses allowed. And keep in mind, Jalen Mayfield, their preseason stud, didn't play a lot last year. So, of course, you fire that guy and replace him with a guy that's never coached the position before so when you look at the grade i'm giving the offensive line i think i had a five there as well the talent in that room michigan has recruited the offensive line about as well as any school in the country has when you look at the recruiting classes of the last couple of years but a guy's coaching them who's never coached them before mark and and that's a unit where if you've got one weakness, it gets exploited. It really is about the sum of its parts as opposed to, you know, keep keep in mind those offensive lines that got Brady Hoke fired and nearly got Devin Gardner killed. The two starting tackles on that, on those offensive lines were Taylor Lewan, the highest paid tackle in the NFL. And um, the other tackle was a starting tackle for the Denver Broncos on their last Super Bowl team. So it, it doesn't really matter if you've got one or two studs. If the unit has a weakness, it will blow up that entire front. And so you're going to try to re-coordinate more of these new young guys and a new offensive line coach. So this is another unit where the talent in the room is better than a five. 
But given the state of the coaching and the experience level, I can't rate it any higher than that. Despite all the coaching changes on both sides of the ball, I believe it's six total coaches has changed spots or come in from from elsewhere. This was the one position where I thought less about players and thought more about coaches Mm -hmm. and the coach that you just pointed out, Ed Warner. So I thought, and because of what you just outlined, the offensive line coach to me is on most teams, of course, every situation is different, but generally the most important coach position coach you have on the team. There's just so many moving parts and you've got to get the right combination. You can't just throw out the best five guys and your tackle might be able to play guard and center, but your center can only play center and so forth and so on. So just the dynamic of all the variables, just the offensive line coach is just invaluable. And you had one of the best in Ed Warner. Okay. The, uh, the replacement here, Sharon Moore is getting high marks for his energy and his optimism. So I don't know what that. Uh, okay. Uh, certainly, that, that seems to be a spring theme for every team. You yeah. Know. Uh, but, Does anybody uh, say so I, the new coach is really depressing and he's really got his playing flat right now? You've covered the sport for a long time, Mark. Anybody ever said that? I've been a new coach. Yeah, it really doesn't happen, especially in spring. Yeah. But we're hearing nothing but good things. The new offensive so, line coach at Kansas has a lot of energy and has and really injected a lot of juice into the program at Kansas. That happens at every school. Yeah. Yeah, not a whole lot of guys uh, in the sport don't have energy. Uh, so, yeah, offensive line, I actually was a little bit more, more pessimistic than you. They lost Zach Carpenter, a serviceable player, to the transfer portal. So I went with a four. Let's go to the defensive line. So I've got a six here because I actually think this is one area where the scheme switch they're going to make benefits where the, the what they want to do. Uh, that... This is a team that's actually uh, pretty well loaded. I, I keep saying that. They have recruited very well. I mean, they have something like the fifth or sixth highest combined four and five star recruits on their roster heading into this year. But they have recruited the edges much better than the interior of the defensive line. So by going to more of an odd man front look, uh, I think that is better suited to the personnel and the talent that they have. Uh, they have a lot of talent on the edge. I think Aiden Hutchinson's as talented of an edge player as returning in the Big Ten. Braden McGregor was a big-time recruit uh, two years ago, coming off Al- Alfred Bay, Alabama, coming off. He's had a full year to recover from knee surgery. Remember the name David Ojabo, a uh, big-time athlete. Uh, that has got a late start in football. But, uh, I mean, we're talking, you know, this guy would win the CrossFit Olympics. So I like the athletes they have on the edge. And I got to think between Mozzie Smith, Chris Hinton, and a couple of other guys they've recruited, they've got to come up with at least one guy who can play uh, those, 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 those two gaps there on the nose in an odd man front. So this is the one area where, a, where the coaching change, if Don Brown was still here, I'd probably rank it a five again. Because I still, this is another area where I think the talent in the room is better than the ranking, but I'm going to give it a a bonus point this time because I think the scheme switch actually is more suited to the personnel that Michigan has. So I gave it a six. I go back to a recurring theme with almost every positional unit, and that's something that you touched upon to a certain extent, and that's these glut of four stars that are stacked up at each position And most of them have either not received an opportunity yet because maybe they just came in in the 20 or 21 classes uh, or they received some semblance of an opportunity and they've underachieved Mm -hmm. or they're serviceable players in the time that they've been given. But very few guys have broken through to become 
all conference caliber players and especially across this defensive front well you got Aiden Hutchinson who are really good player could have gone to the NFL uh, but I come up with a bunch of names like Chris Hinton and Mozzie Smith uh, in addition to the guys that you mentioned in the latest class for Sean Benny so who out of these four stars is going to step up and be a player uh, you mentioned the edge and that's one of those positions where you need a guy that's going to disrupt a game, disrupt the passing game. And uh, corner, tackle, edge rusher, premium positions, and who's that guy that's going to get 10 or 12 sacks? Uh, I don't know who he is, but uh, as you mentioned, Mike McDonald brings in the 3-4 defense, and uh, that uh, should uh, serve this uh, unit well. So I give him a 6. Let's go to linebacker, which I think might be the weakest position in the program, uh, and the, and this is where the scheme switch works against you. I mean, William Mohan was a big-time recruit for Michigan uh, in the 2020 class. He just transferred out because he's a unique body type that is uh, prone or, or he's built to basically play that nickel safety position that we used to call Viper. Uh, there's probably two or three more players like him in our program now that are trying to figure out, am I fast enough uh, to play safety? Can I bulk up enough to be an edge player or to play Mike or Sam uh, or Will in this new defense? So uh, I, I I think Josh Ross is okay. Uh, what was funny is when they tried to play him last year, a former starter at linebacker, when they tried to play him with Cam McGrone and moved him to the Will, he was terrible. When Cam McGrone got hurt and they put Josh, Ro- Josh uh, Ross back at the mic, he was really good. So that tells you that he can play basically one position. Uh, and now they don't know who's going to play the other positions. So uh, there a lot of influx here, scheme as well. Um, they have, this is where uh, most of the talent actually in this room is in the guys that just came in, like the Khalil Mullings, uh, Nakai Hill Greens, who have only had one year in the program and are already facing a, a second, uh, scheme now to learn. So, uh, this is not a unit I'm very high on. I only gave it a four. So the read across the board for me is that, yeah, oh, we'll have to wait until the coaches figure it out, but that it's... A situation in which it doesn't appear as though most of these players are adaptable to other positions and it's going to be a tough <clears throat> fit to make and the coaches have a lot to figure out at linebacker yeah. uh the one, I mean, listen, the one they were guy, starting though, to, they were starting to walk on at, at, at linebacker at the end of the year last year for a reason all right so because guys the young guys weren't ready to play and the older guys weren't that good so michael barrett's a good player as you mentioned uh, josh ross is a serviceable guy been around the program forever ever fifth year but uh, i got one name for you junior colson so uh now that was a, he's a big he's this, like, probably the second best recruit in the class or the best recruit other than edwards and mccarthy they're the two stars but big time linebacker out of the nashville area another early enrollee so, but now he was originally recruited to be a fit for don brown's defense where does he fit in here but a guy that's as athletic as he is you got to figure you can find a spot for him to play yeah, he played wide receiver in high school. Right. And uh, yeah, I've got a guy at, I talk to at Rivals all the time who thinks he's the best player in the class. Hmm. Okay. Well, they need him to be. So let's hope that's the case. Finally, defensive back, which got was terrible at the start of last year, but actually got better as the season wore on. They've, they, they've recruited the safety position here very well. The corner position uh, is okay, not great. Uh, I think that the scheme will benefit the switch here because not as much will be asked of them. 
But I think they're still in, meaning they won't have to play man-to-man every down, regardless of down and distance. But I still think we're in this no-man's land with arguably the most talented player in our program, and that's Daxton Hill. All right, where can we afford, ideally, if you've watched the Ravens play defense and you're assuming we're going to move to something similar with Mike McDonald, you you see the roam potential that they give a free safety to just be a, a what Tyrone Matthew, Matthew was at LSU, basically a honey badger kind of a player where they can disrupt all over the field, right? But the, the problem we have is, are we good enough at corner that we can afford that luxury or do we have to put him there? in order to not get picked on, uh, you know, on one side of the field relentlessly, which is what happened early on last season. So I think they got to figure all that out as well. I'm not really sure what they're going to come up with. So I I just gave it a five to split the baby in half. Yeah, uh, gray and green were awful early last season. They did improve. They didn't have much time Particularly green. Green got really good at the end of last year. Okay. They only only had six games, so they couldn't have didn't have much time to mm-hmm. develop, but uh, to their credit, and you mentioned Javon Green uh, got uh, considerably better. But again, I saw layers as, as I was looking at this, layers of four stars beneath those two. I know. So I know. who knows who's going to start in week one because those guys certainly don't have those positions locked down, and in in, in particular, Vincent Gray. Um, so they got a ton of four stars that could uh, step up. They just That's why you recruit in droves. The, these tremendous athletes, because if um, two of four come through for you, you're in good shape. Um, the the safety position's much better, though. They're, they're locked down with Hawkins and Daxton Hill, and they're both really good players, especially Daxton Hill. And uh, so safety looks good. Corner, they've got enough talent for somebody to step up, or two or three guys to step up is what they need. But last year, it was abysmal. Before we get out of here, let's play a fun little game. And then if you, if anybody accuses me of this later, I will deny it, even though there will be videotaped evidence, okay? Iowa State's going to be a preseason top 10 team when the AP poll comes out in August. We both agree, right? Yes. I mean, they got everybody to come back, basically, right, to make it one more run at winning a Big 12 championship after they fell just short last year. So that's a preseason top 10 team, okay? Let's switch. Everything on the, the rosters all stay the same. Let's put Matt Campbell and his staff in Ann Arbor and Jim Harbaugh and his staff in Iowa in, in Ames, Iowa. Do you still think Iowa State's a preseason top 10 team? That's a great point. Because I don't. Not. I don't. They're not. Now, now you mentioned all the layers of four-star plus recruits that you noticed going pouring through our depth chart in anticipation of you and I having this breakdown today, right? Okay. Put, put Matt Campbell and his staff in Ann Arbor. You still think this is probably a five and seven, six and six, seven and five team? I went through Iowa State a couple of weeks ago with a guest, and uh, their recruiting classes, even with this success that they're now having, are still coming in at fifty mm-hmm. eighth in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's astounding. So obviously they know what they're doing, and Matt Campbell's got a tremendous staff that he's compiled. These guys, um, you got I mean, to as, we, as get... we went through this over and over again. What do we talk about? Or at least on my end, what did I keep saying? Talent in the room is better than the ranking. I don't know about the scheme. I don't trust who's coaching the position. They've never done it before, right? We didn't really talk that much about we didn't trust the personnel that they had. We just we don't know anything about it. We don't know if it can play in the scheme. We don't know if it can be coached to the scheme. This is really a coaching issue in this program, right? That's what we're really talking about. 
Yeah, there's no way that the recruiting rankings are wrong on all these guys. Or, of course, they've got good players. So I'm not discounting the entire roster or depth chart as being underachievers because they've got some people that have, have played well. Hassan sure. Haskins, Daxton Hill, Ronnie Bell, etc. But the recruiting rankings don't lie. And uh, there's a development issue. There's no question about that because... Everybody else was recruiting these guys, too. Yeah. They were getting offers from all over the place. Hey, Ohio State so. tried to come in and steal Blake Corm at the end of the recruiting process. Think they, they they have a history of identifying running back talent or not? I would think so. We could do that with a lot of these guys. And yet, here we are. Mark, appreciate your perspective as always, brother. Thanks for joining us again this week on Michigan Podcast. Thanks so much, Steve. Have a good one. You too. A big thank you to our Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash Michigan podcast because you make these episodes possible with your support. And we get asked all the time, hey, we love what you guys do. How can we support you? Well, for just $5 a month, you can support us at patreon.com slash Michigan podcast. And hey, college basketball may be done, but now we're into the Major League Baseball handicapping and we had an outstanding season in Major League Baseball last year. We had a pretty good season in college basketball this year as well, as you can see right there from something we recently posted on our Patreon page. So $5 a month to get some pretty good sports handicapping and opportunity to win some money. Like when we recommended you take before the tournament, Baylor six to one to win the national championship. You saw that thing pay off, right? Well, your $5 a month pays off when you support us at patreon.com slash Michigan podcast. This week's Twitter poll results, I, I must confess, surprised me. Uh, we asked you, with nothing now left to distract us, should we go ahead and delete our account and cease producing new episodes to avoid having to discuss the one-car pileup that is Michigan football? I expected a lot of you, just because of bitterness from even asking this question, to say yes, eject. I was surprised that a solid majority of you say no. Suck it up, buttercup. Stick around. Now, I'm not obviously going to eject, okay? I mean, this Michigan football has, next to my faith, my family, brought more joy to my life than anything just about outside those two things. I mean, it's been fundamental to my my identity and existence since I was 10 years old. And we first moved to Grand Rapids, Michigan. So I can't quit you. I'm just, as the great prophet Allen Iverson once said, I'm tired. I, I'm just I'm just tired of it. I'm exhausted by it. I don't think it's going anywhere. I think this season is going to be a one-car pileup. I think we're going to fire our coach. I think we're going to know by the 1st of October for sure, middle, end of October, by the latest, we're firing our coach. I think it's going to be a Batan uh, March, not a season, a slog. Um, I think the program's being incredibly mismanaged, and yet it's being mismanaged incredibly by my all-time favorite player as a child, which makes me full of conflicted emotions. On one hand, I'm angry and bitter. On the other hand, I'm just completely heartbroken that it's come to this. I'm just, I'm a mess right now, is what I'm trying to say, (laughs) okay? So that was just me kvetching, but I expected more of you to say, hey, you know, uh, Michigan, love it or leave it. But a lot of you are like, no. Stick it out. Thank you. That brings us to this week's feedback of the week from Hassler U of M says, hey, I watch every Michigan podcast and Bigger 10 each episode. 
I don't always like what you guys have to say, but that's only because you're unfortunately probably telling the truth. Can't imagine making an episode about this football team is exactly enjoyable, but appreciate the content. Thank you. And it's not, man. It's not. We all have our vices. We all have our weaknesses. We all have our own little personal red light districts. I can't lie. Like, I'm like, I can't do it. Like, if I try, I can't. Like, I physically can't do it. So I cannot come on here and spin to you. I mean, we're taping this episode on April the 6th. The season starts almost exactly four months from today. I, I'm not going to be able to lie to you those next four months. Now, I don't want to keep repeating myself either. So, you know, that's why I get paid the big bucks around here. We'll come up with good original content that isn't uh, a perpetual drain circling, but you just need to know going in here, man, there's the basement and then there's where my expectations are for this season. Subterranean, like worth the nickel, worth the mantle or the nickel core at the center of the earth. That's where my expectations are. All right. So just know that going in. And uh, also know that these are tears of a clown. Thank you very much for tuning into this week's episode of Michigan Podcast. Don't forget, like, rate, share, subscribe, five-star review, whichever the case may be. If you watch on YouTube or if you listen to the podcasts on Spotify, Google, Stitcher Play, iTunes, however you tune in, please keep those things, those shares, those comments, those likes, subscriptions, five-star reviews, whichever may apply at your platform. Keep those coming. Share this with every Michigan fan you know. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Michigan Podcast as well to keep up to date on what we think about all things maize and blue. Until the next time, I'm Steve Dace. Go Blue.